0: Welcome to Sibeline Podcasts, part of our Insight series where we aim to provide relevant, timely and actionable analysis in a discursive format. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Please visit our website for more Insight series updates and as always like, subscribe and share. Hello. Welcome to Sibeline Podcast series. I'm Goyu, lead APAC analyst. I'm joined today by my fellow Asia-Pacific analysts Ricardo Kosiani and Adam Modachai. Together, we will discuss the recently signed security cooperation agreement between China and Solomon Islands. Now, after much media speculation, the two countries have now confirmed the signing of the treaty. While neither Beijing nor Honiara has elaborated detail of the agreement, reports on what media describes as a leaked draft document reviewed that the extent of potential close security and defense cooperation between the two countries, including the possibility of deploying Chinese armed and security forces or naval ships to the Pacific island nation. Such move has really attracted a lot of attention and a strong opposition from neighbors and other regional powers, including Australia U.S. and Japan, where they've been rushing to send in diplomats to Solomon Islands to explore the detail of this treaty and really assess the potential far-reaching implications on the political dynamic in the Pacific. So with that in mind, Ricardo, perhaps I could go to you first. If we can tell our audience a little bit more about this China-Solomon Islands treaty, and why in particular that China has uh, choose to do a deal with Solomon Islands, and why now? Thank you, Hugo. So to start off, I'll list some details about the, the treaty
1: itself, and then provide additional background information to it. So to start off first, the deal is officially a framework security agreement between the government of, of China and the Solomon Islands to allow, as you said, Chinese police, security, and military personnel, which are likely to include the People's Armed Police, as well as the Liberation Army Navy, onto the Solomon Islands, which according to photos of the draft treaty that were released in late March, the reason for deployments to the islands would be to provide assistance and to maintain social orders on the islands. And this is likely to refer to violent riots that occurred the year prior which saw violent anti-government protests which particularly targeted the chinatown in honiara but with regard to security in particular what is concerning regional countries in the south pacific most importantly australia and new zealand is the fact that deployment of troops is the deployment of armed personnel so close to australia's shores which I would also remind that Australia and New Zealand are also Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance countries and allies of the United States. With regards to domestic politics, the deal has been controversial because this is seen as a a stronger tilt by Huniara, and particularly the Prime Minister Monastro Gavare towards Beijing. And therefore, not only are the Solomon Islands expected to strengthen their bilateral relations, With Beijing, but there's also a an expectation that this deal will rewrite the regional order. And as Beijing's diplomats may say, Australian and and other local diplomats may see this from a zero-sum perspective, meaning that while this would constitute a win for Beijing, this may likely constitute a loss for, for Australia. With regards to society, again, this ties in very closely with the domestic political situation in that it is likely that the local population will see this move as their prime minister and the government seeking closer ties with Beijing, which, as the December 2021 riots have showed, this has proved to be quite unpopular.
0: Right, so that's kind of very interesting. I mean, you mentioned about the the riot against Chinese interests on the island. And do you think that's the trigger for Beijing trying to strike a security treaty with the Solomon Island government, or do you think this is something that has been working much longer in the pipeline and become fruition just now?
1: I think it definitely played a huge role in both government's rationale and also timing. When when signing the deal. But it's definitely something that has been building up a bit slowly over the medium term over the past few years. In fact, Beijing has indeed expanded its diplomatic influence in the Pacific region.
0: Also, I guess it's worth mentioning for, for the benefit of our audience that, you know, Solomon Island not long ago switched allegiance from Taipei to Beijing, right? So obviously, there's definitely a significant shift in Solomon Island government's China policy there. Uh, and perhaps, you know, that could arguably lay the foundation on which to struck such a security uh, a treaty. Is that a fair assessment there?
1: Absolutely. In fact, Hunyar switched diplomatic
0: relations from Taipei
1: with Beijing in late 2019. That was definitely a turning point, both for the Solomon Islands themselves, but also for, for the region, because that emphasised that Beijing would definitely extend its diplomatic and also trade influence on on the islands themselves. But that diplomatic switch definitely proved very unpopular with some of the population. And in fact, the decision to switch diplomatic relations was one of the main reasons behind the December
2: 21 riots that, that I mentioned before. Yeah, I would agree with Ricardo. The closer relationship with the central government with Beijing is, is one of the reasons that some parts of the local population uh, feel aggrieved and don't feel like the benefits of that relationship have been shared equally among the islands. And uh, this most recent deal is only going to reinforce that and sustain the, the risk of maybe further unrest in the, in the future. Other countries in the region have also voiced the concerns. What are the main things at stake uh, for key regional powers? Uh, talking about Australia, New Zealand and, and the US, of course.
1: So starting off with Australia, their main concern is definitely the fact that the Solomon Islands will now see upon uh, the Solomon Islands' request Chinese security forces and troops, including armed troops. And this is definitely something that is concerning and causing high levels of anxieties in the region, in Canberra, but also as far as Washington. And as I mentioned before, Australia and its neighbor New Zealand are Five Eyes Intelligence members. And noting these elements, the presence of security and military personnel on the islands is definitely, from their perspective, poses several security threats, including that of possible espionage. And a very important and concerning point, again, for the same countries that that I mentioned, is the possibility that this security agreement would allow the possible regular visits, including logistical replenishments by Chinese naval ships. And this is definitely something that is of huge concern for these countries and something that Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison labeled as a red line. So should Beijing send its troops and naval vessels to to the Solomon Islands, we can expect some strong response from Australia and other regional countries including the U.S., who has also voiced very strong concerns about this possibility, because the additional presence of the Chinese military in, into the South Pacific and so close to Australian shores is seen as a, an extension, and expansion of China's military presence, as assertiveness, aggressiveness, and its fear that this will tilt the balance of power more to Beijing's favor.
0: Yeah, I mean, from China's perspective, even though both Solomon Islands and, and the Chinese government has been insisted, you know, such security agreement is all for domestic security purposes and try to basically to avoid very violent rights and uh, repeating. If we are go with the leaked draft document, you know, one has to say the finalized security agreement. Uh, has not been released officially. But if we go by what we've seen from the leaked document, then obviously the possibility of allowing Chinese armed forces to station on the island, or uh, the possibility of the you know, Chinese Navy using the island as a supply base, it definitely would raise a lot of alarms to the neighbors. I mean, you mentioned about Australia, has been the biggest aid governor to Solomon Island, and along with New Zealand, has a long-standing stake in the country. Not least, they responded quite swiftly during the riot by sending peacekeeping forces on the island to restore law and order. So it has the a long-standing tradition offering a security support for Solomon Island. So, I mean, speaking of which, uh, obviously, Australia... Is uh, getting into the federal election season. And would the debate over this agreement and Australia's general perception on China, let's not forget the two countries haven't been really seen eye to eye for the past two, three years, really feature prominently in the, in the election discourse?
2: The, the debate over Australia's relationship with China and China's great assertiveness in, in the region in general has certainly come to the, to the fore in, in, in recent years, particularly since uh, the falling out uh, since the pandemic, which resulted in tariffs between both countries, which was significant considering China is often Australia's main market for, for many exports. So the relationship is very significant, and it has effects on the ground as well for, for businesses, etc. And like we've been talking, this issue of the Solomon Islands is strategically significant. It is become a political issue. The opposition Labour Party, who are polling above the ruling Liberal Party at the moment, have used it to criticise the governments, uh, accusing them of dropping the ball, being blindsided by China. And both sides in recent years have recalibrated a position on China, both the Labour Party and the Liberal Party try to position themselves as the more assertive towards Beijing, the more hawkish, and both also try and accuse the other side of being soft or even compromised by Beijing's influence. However, in reality, recent survey, I think of nearly 100,000 people polled on what they're really going to decide, what's going to really sway the decision in uh, next month's general election. Foreign policy in China comes very low in that compared to climate change, environment, cost of living, etc. So the reality is, despite it being... significant issue and and a debating point between the parties. I I don't think it's going to be significant in swaying the population one way or another. One, because foreign policy is often not on the forefront of the voters' mind, uh, not just in Australia, but everywhere. But also because I don't see the policies between the two main parties differing all that much.
0: Right. We think obviously, well, various domestic policies and domestic issues become the dominant issues In the election campaign, and regardless of who's going to be the next government in Australia, the hardline stance towards Beijing looks set to remain in place. And if that's the case, if we look perhaps, you know, further ahead, does this agreement highlight or reflect anything about China's strategic intention regarding the Pacific island nations? You already mentioned about the Chinese Navy potentially using Southern Island as a supply base and could extend their power uh, projection. Actually see Beijing trying to perhaps strike some similar uh, security agreement with other nations?
1: I think the possibility is definitely out there. It's definitely nothing new that Beijing has been seeking in the past and is currently seeking to expanded security influence in not only other regional countries, but also in other countries elsewhere in the rest of the world. So that possibility obviously remains. And I think the the deal has definitely heightened suspicions and anxieties with regards to these possibilities. With regards to its uh, strategic intentions over, you know, with regards to the Solomon Islands and the rest of the region... To a certain extent, it remains to to be seen what Beijing's official intentions are. The the delimited imagery and details that we've seen uh, of the draft treaty back back in March do not provide enough details to fully explain this. However, uh, there is definitely a possibility that should a sizable number of regular troop deployments to the islands, including port visits by Chinese navies, those would definitely expand um, China's military influence on the region with regards to not only Australia, New Zealand, but also the US and in other regional countries and also regional trade. The, the Solomon Islands should not be forgotten. They are located in a key strategic um, maritime location which, which sees a considerable number of, of ships. Therefore, Beijing could definitely exert some influence given the, the possibility and occasions to, to influence both the the sale sort of, of cargo ships, but also of other uh, military vessels. In fact, not so long ago, the Australian Chinese military faced off n- near Australia's northern shores, which caused a, a, a strong diplomatic incident between the, the two countries and should China increase its patrols in those waters, these type of incidents are definitely going to occur again. And therefore, the risks associated with it, such as miscommunication and a lack of understanding of intentions behind certain actions, you know, military posturing, those can be expected to increase as well. And I think we can also expect an increased presence of U.S. naval presence in in those waters as well.
0: It's a very sort of interesting space to watch, the Pacific, and, uh, you know, a lot of these um, rather small island countries don't have uh, many uh, or much political or economic leverage, but they are situated in very sort of strategically important waters, and the waters being increasingly contested against the backdrop of China-U.S. strategic rivalry and it's being played in that theater. This treaty is a big sign of that, even though Beijing has insisted this treaty is basically a bilateral, mutually beneficial agreement that is not directed to any third party, but from Chinese state media coverage and other discussions. And it's interesting to, to see an argument being made about uh, the case of uh, why China could not secure a security agreement uh, with Solomon Islands when Australia, you know, secure nuclear uh, submarine supply deals uh, with the U.S. and then the U.K. So, so you can see there's a seemingly veiled criticism or attack against the so-called AUKUS agreement, which has, you know, generated a lot of displeasure pressure on China um, last year when it first came out.
1: So if I may expand on your last point, I agree with you that, and I've noted a, an increase in, in mentions by the Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs with regards to the AUKUS agreement, but also, more significantly, was de facto rejection of the regional order in the South Pacific, for example, on 25th of April, the, the spokesperson of the Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs, you know, he noted and rejected the, the South Pacific and particular the Southern Islands as being part to the backyard of the US or, or Australia. And when as far as mentioning and contrasting and rejecting the US so-called Monroe doctrine, indicating that Beijing is strongly refusing the the international order as we've seen now and that possibly it intends to apply its own to to the region, and it's also this that is causing anxieties in Australia, New Zealand, the US, even as far as Japan, as well, who has also voiced its concern in a recent diplomatic visit to, to Honiara, again seeking assurances that the Solomon Islands will not host a Chinese military base. And so, on top of that, another fear from the region. Not only the South Pacific, but also the rest of Southeast Asia and East Asia, is the fear of similar agreements being signed between other countries that not only will pose such security threats as we just discussed, but also it would imply that certain values, as proposed by Beijing, in particular secrecy, will become more dominant. And if such secret and non-transparent deals become the norm, then it will become even more likely that tensions between countries associated with, with the West, like the, the US, Australia, New Zealand, as well as Japan, will definitely voice concerns with Beijing, raise regional tensions, raise misunderstanding, and therefore raise the risk of possible
0: military confrontations in the region. I think you definitely made that point. Uh, important and good point about uh, the lack of transparency there. You know, As we said, they have not released the, the final uh, agreement and just confirmed that it's been signed. And from what we read from the leaked draft in the paper, it's very door-brushed, uh, so to speak, in terms of uh, the, the conditions under which that China could might deploy troops. And it's such a, a lack of definitive conditions or terms that, that really raised concerns for other regional stakeholders and fear that Beijing could utilize this treaty to further project its uh, strategic interest in the region. Not only that,
1: but when, when reading the, the draft treaty, the wording is not only quite vague, as one would expect from this type of treaties by, by Beijing, but there's also some interesting language used, and in particular, uh, the Solomon Islands will not only provide China with "quote unquote" all necessary facilities and assistance, including the entry of personnel and weaponry, as well as providing China with intelligence. But the way the the, the framework is structured would see the Solomon Islands requesting China f- for their security military presence, as well as providing them with permission to deploy those those units, and so. What this means is that by providing China with permission from a uh, sovereign state, China is able to sort of contravene its own principle of non-interference in foreign affairs, which is one of the pillars of Chinese foreign policy. And so this raises other types of questions from observing regional countries like Australia, but also a key competitor like the U.S., because this raises the issue of, you know, making predictions about Chinese behavior more difficult, because while on the one hand, China officially holds an non-deference policy, and so it is not expected to conduct the type of operations and possibly even sign type of treaties that it has signed with some islands, but because it receives through this treaty permission from other country, then it is able to to contravene its, its own limitations. And so this will in turn raise for the
0: scrutiny and anxieties vis-a-vis China. All coming against the backdrop, as we already highlighted, intensifying rivalry between China and uh, US-led liberal democracies. Very interesting time ahead. And, and ultimately, the treaty highlights even more the issue of
1: lack of trust between Beijing and, and the West. Now, this this issue of competition between these two camps has now been officially extended to the South Pacific as well. Yes, certainly
0: agree to that. So, that concludes our discussion on the Sino-Solomon Islands Security Treaty. And we will definitely follow the fallout from this and the progress of such an agreement very closely going forward. Next, we look at are important and interesting events taking place in the next week or so go to you, Ricardo. So what will be on our radar for the next week?
1: From this week over the next few weeks would we'll be keep an eye on uh, countries like Indonesia, which are expected to see an uptick in protests. And Indonesia in particular is expected to hold the protest on the 1st of May to demand the dismissal of of its trade ministers, as well as reflecting resentments towards rising cooking oil prices, which has already had an economic impact to to the rest of the regions. We'll also keep an eye on upcoming elections over the next few weeks in Hong Kong, the Philippines, and Australia, which are expected to also reshape the, the regional order. Over to the Middle East, we'll be looking forward to the expected meetings between Israeli and officials which are likely to reduce tensions at the Alexa Mosque in Jerusalem's um, old city. However, the, the violent protests in over the coming weeks are expected to remain heightened amid elevated uh, ethno-religious tensions. Over to sub-Saharan Africa, we'll be keeping an eye in Guinea as the uh, National Front for the Defense of the Constitution Society Group, has given the military during the deadline of 5th of May to agree to a transition to, to democracy. Our Eurasian desk will be keeping an eye, as usual, on the ongoing conflict in, in Ukraine between Ukraine and, and Russia. And then over to Europe, Northern Ireland will hold the 2022 Assembly elections on the 5th of May, with where we expect a low likelihood of anti Brexit protest, but a moderate risk of, of sectarian violence, as the Republican Party in Northern Ireland is likely to do uh, very well in the elections. Over to North America and Canada, the Rolling Thunder Ottawa Motorcycle Rally is due to take place in, in Ottawa between April 29th and, and 30th, with organizers saying that the aim of the event is to defend fundamental rights and commemorate uh, war veterans. In Latin America, we'll be keeping an eye on Colombia's disruptions and public property and destruction over the weekend are possible as the next strike committee call for a new protest on 20th of April.
0: Right. So it looks like it's going to be a busy week ahead. Certainly a lot of events taking place all across the globe. And obviously I will be keeping a key eye on the unfolding conflicts in, in Ukraine and the fallout of it. So thank you very much for tuning in today. And if you do have any queries, please contact us via info at zipline.co.uk. Until next week, goodbye.